Welcome to Menlo Church Online. We're excited to have you tuning in and joining us today. We are a church where we believe that everybody's welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything really is possible. Enjoy today's message. Imagine for a moment that you are God. Just play this game with me for a second. Imagine that you are God and you are getting ready to send your son Jesus into the world. You're gonna send him down into the world and this is the moment you've been waiting for ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. This is the opportunity that you are looking to use to tell the world how much you love them to reveal yourself to the world, to, to lead people on a spiritual journey. This is the moment that the law and the prophets have been pointing to for thousands of years. It's going to change history forever. If you were God, how would you want this story to be told? And who would you choose to be the messengers? Well, if I were God, and my children remind me every day that I'm not, but if I were God, I would probably put together a really sound communication plan. I would hire the top journalists, the world-renowned communicators. I would schedule a really big press conference and um, hire a, a PR firm to help me get the word out. I would have a social media campaign that'd be working around the clock. And of course, I'd use the best cable channel network, which we all know is ESPN. But that's not the way God chose to tell this story, and that's not the way he went about communicating this to the world. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 2, we see that God told the story in a very different way than we would have. It tells us in the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Every year at Christmas pageants around the world, thousands of children put on bathrobes and wrap towels around their bodies to depict shepherds uh, at the nativity scene. 
Uh, on the street where I live, there's a church that does a live nativity every year, and it draws large crowds, people who want to come and see this reenactment of the birth of Jesus. And as you would expect, there are children and grown adults as well that put on these brath robes and hold canes to uh, act the part of shepherds at the birth of Jesus. Shepherds are synonymous with Christmas and the birth of Jesus because they're among the first people that God told about the arrival of his son. Why would God call on the shepherds first? I mean, if I were in control of this communication plan, I'd probably go to more notable people in the community, people who are more recognized, who have a voice, people who are able to broadcast and transmit this message, not just to their immediate community, but to the ends of the world. But God came to these humble people, and he tapped them on the shoulder, and he asked them to be the ones to go see this baby that had been born, and then to share this news with as many people as they could. As the story tells us, Luke mentions that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were terrified. The angels were not expecting to be the recipients of this news. They were minding their own business, they were doing their job, and out of nowhere these angels came and they were terrified. Now, what could be so terrifying about the presence of angels? I've often heard people pray, Lord, send your angels or surround us with your angels. We, we think of angels as our guardians, as, as heavenly beings that will provide safety and protection. I mean, that's the way I've heard people talk about angels. For thousands of years, artists have captured angels on canvas and depicted them as chubby little babies with wings that fly around in the sky. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's actually quite a disturbing concept for me. <laughs> when a baby's born, we check to see how many fingers and toes they have, hopefully 10 of each, but we don't really look on their backs to see if they have a pair of wings, do we? Why were these shepherds afraid? The Bible mentions angels 273 times. And every time there's an encounter with an angel, there's almost immediately fear in the heart of the person who's encountering them. Many commentators tell us that this, is, uh, this fear exists because of the alienation that humanity has with God, and so therefore in the presence of a holy being, there's just this innate fear or intimidation. Oftentimes angels are described as looking uh, similar in nature to human beings, some of them don't have wings, but some of them have up to six wings. Some of them have multiple faces that look like a lion or an ox or an eagle. Many angels are very bright and shiny and fiery. Some are even invisible and you can only hear their voices. So if this is the way the scriptures describe the angels to us, I think I could realize why I would be afraid, scared out of my pants if I was in the middle of the night out in a field and a bunch of these angels came to speak to me. I would also be terrified, but listen to what the angels tell the shepherds. They say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. The angels say, do not be afraid. The word there that's used for good news is the Greek word euangelion, which was a very special word that was usually only used to announce the arrival or the birth of a king or an emperor like Caesar. This wasn't the kind of word that you would put on a, on a postcard to tell all of your friends that you have a newborn baby. This was an exclusive word that would usher in the arrival of a king or a savior or an emperor of their people. 
And the angels use this word to say that a savior has been born to you in the town of David in Bethlehem. The reason why the angels are telling the shepherds not to be afraid is because they bring good news. A savior has been born for you and for the world. And this is news that will bring great joy to all who hear it. And so the shepherds receive this message and they go to Bethlehem to see for themselves this baby. And we're told that they then go and they share this message and everyone who hears this message is amazed. This was a very early spiritual conversation that God enacted around the birth of his son to shepherds that were watching the flocks in the fields. This Advent, we're in this series called Real Talk, which is about discovering the joy and the delight of spiritual conversations. And as followers of Jesus, uh, part of what we're called to do is to share our lives with others, to share our story, our testimony, our witness, uh, to share it in a way that might help others to see the goodness of who God is, the difference he's made in our own lives. And we can use words or we can use actions or we can use both. Last weekend, we had a special guest with us named Don Everts, and Don has written and done a lot of research around the state of spiritual conversations, and what they have found is that the frequency of spiritual conversations taking place today are lessening. They're trending down and to the right. Fewer and fewer people are engaging in spiritual conversations with anyone or uh, any kinds of conversations, even those that express doubts or questions. And so as they've asked people about their experience with spiritual conversations, they've come across a few reasons as to why they think people are not engaging in these conversations as much as they used to. And they've identified what they've called five myths to spiritual conversations. These are, these are five reasons why people like you and me might not enter into a spiritual conversation. It's a preconceived notion that probably isn't true. And so with the time that we have left, I'd like to go through some of those myths and try to debunk them together with you so that maybe we could be a little bit more encouraged, like the shepherds, to not be afraid and to share this news that will bring great joy to the world that a Savior is born. The first myth that Don shares is that spiritual conversations happen in special places, in special circumstances with special people. Uh, we tend to think that spiritual conversations happen uh, in the church or during a church service or maybe at a retreat center or on a mountain peak. And they usually happen during someone's life when they're going through a, a major crisis or maybe they're experiencing an epiphany and they want to talk about it with someone. And, and that someone, usually we tend to think, is a pastor or a priest or a church leader like Frank or myself. Now, those are the people that can have the spiritual conversations they know what they're talking about. They went to school. They've studied this stuff. That's what they're paid to do. And so we sort of just say, that's not my job. That's a special person's job. And, and those usually happen in special places at special times. But when people were asked about when they had these spiritual conversations, most of them said, well, it just happened during the course of everyday life at a soccer field, in the office, at the dinner table in the car. I've found the car to be a wonderful place to have conversations with my two teenage boys. It's easy to just be in the driver's seat and looking ahead and talking to my sons. 
And most people said the people they preferred to have the spiritual conversations with were someone they knew well or very well. Nine out of 10 people said they would look forward, to have a, look forward to having a spiritual conversation with someone they knew well or someone who knew them well. In fact, the top three people that were noted in the survey were um, a friend, a spouse, or a child, one of their children that they'd like to have a spiritual conversation with. At the very bottom of that list was a stranger. You see, people are eager and open to having spiritual conversations with people they know, with people they trust, with people they feel a safe connection with. And so chances are there's someone in our lives, there's someone in your life, someone you know, maybe someone in your family or maybe your neighbor across the street or a good friend or a coworker that is just one conversation away from moving toward God and you might be the messenger that God is nudging to be the bearer of that good news. So that's the first myth. The second myth is that spiritual conversations are serious and somber. They're these awkward, uncomfortable conversations. And so who wants to be in a situation like that? Now, of course, any kind of conversation could lead to an awkward moment, but um, the the studies show that uh, in these spiritual conversations, uh, they don't have to be these serious, somber events. In fact, a common occurrence when people were asked what they experienced in a spiritual conversation was laughter. That was a common experience that people had. In fact, the top three emotions people said they felt during the course of a spiritual conversation was joy, peace, and exhilaration. They don't always have to be these serious, you know, uh, somber conversations that are uncomfortable and awkward and when can I get out of this, but oftentimes they can be very life-giving and fun and joyful. Remember, when the angels came to the shepherds, they say, share this good news that will bring joy to people, that will bring peace on earth. And so if we tell ourselves that these conversations are really serious and awkward and uncomfortable, of course we will never enter into them. But if we're we're reminded not only through the gospel account, but also through the testimony of other people who've told us what they've experienced, maybe we should be more encouraged or apt to embark on these kinds of conversations with the people that are in our lives. In fact, psychologists say that Um, conversations that are superficial and surface level rarely lead to deep, meaningful connection or joy. It's when we talk about the things that matter, the deeper things of life, people feel a connection, a depth, an empathy for one another. And what topics could be more authentic to who we are than things like faith and hope and love? These are the kinds of things that God has blessed us with that we can share and talk about when God nudges our hearts. Another myth that Don describes in his book is that in spiritual conversations, I need to be able to give all the answers, right? How many of you are afraid that if somebody asks you a question about the Bible or about what you believe, you might not know the answer? Well, I've got a confession. I'm afraid too, and I've gone to school for this stuff but I know that there are just so many questions out there that I just don't have the answers to, and if I'm afraid that I'm going to be asked a question and therefore not enter into a conversation, then I'm not giving myself the opportunity to actually connect with somebody, because what they found in their research was that most spiritual conversations were filled with questions, more so than answers. 
And skeptics actually appreciate a response from a Christian where they say things like, you know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. That's a great question. Rather than trying to fumble through and give a pat answer to every question someone tries to ask about what we may believe. Maybe you're here this weekend and uh, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian and you're a part of our community. We're so glad and uh, grateful that you're here with us, but I wanted to let you know that we, we have an experience here that we do a couple of times a year called Alpha. And, and Alpha is really an exploration uh, about the Christian faith, but uh, Alpha is not designed to provide answers for people with questions. Alpha is really designed around a series of questions over the course of 11 weeks. Uh, where we can raise our questions, where we can raise our doubts. And, you know, the true magic of Alpha uh, is not about telling, giving people answers on why they should pray or go to church, but the magic of Alpha are the, the deep conversations that people have around dinner, the friendships that are formed, the connections that are made. And through the course of these conversations, we just leave these open to God and His Spirit to be speaking and working in us through these questions. And if this sounds like an opportunity or an experience that you might be interested in, we'll be uh, leading Alpha again uh, in February of this coming year, and we'd love for you to be a part of that because these are wonderful opportunities to have spiritual questions, spiritual conversations that are really filled with questions more so than answers. I uh, am one of those people, I, if you can't tell already, I love technology. Uh, I don't have a, well, I have my Bible on an iPad this morning, and I'm wearing an I, I, Apple Watch. Uh, Frank has an Apple Watch too, so I can tell he, uh, he and I are, are friends. Uh, I, I'm one of those people, I like to have the latest iPhone when it comes out. Uh, I, I really like technology. Uh, it's, it's made a difference in my life, but I can't tell you how it all works. I, I can't tell you what kind of processor or chip is in this device or what the specs are on the screen or why this one is better than that one, but I can just tell you why I use this and how it adds value to my life, and how it's changed the way I live, I can tell you that. And I think oftentimes that's how we share our story of faith. We're not supposed to be Bible dictionaries that answer everybody's questions about every little thing that they're curious about, but just to say, well, this is how I met Jesus, and this is how my life has changed, and this is how I make decisions. And this is why I am the way that I am. This is how my faith has formed me. And anybody can have those kinds of conversations. I think that's the way the shepherds shared the good news. We were minding our own business, and then the angels came and pointed us to Bethlehem, and we met this baby, and we knew that he was the savior of the world. And that's the message they shared. Another reason, another myth why we are apprehensive around spiritual conversations is that they involve conflict. And if we get into conflict, that just ruins everything. And I know a lot of people tend to be conflict-averse. There are very few people I know that actually enjoy getting into arguments and having conflict. But if you think about it for a second, almost any kind of conversation, much less a spiritual conversation, can lead to conflict, right? I mean, just ask my brother. We have argued about anything that you could possibly argue about. One of the dumbest arguments we ever had was over shoestrings. We argued over shoestrings. Which shoestrings are better, flat shoestrings or round shoestrings? And we went on and on and on, and we got into a fight over shoestrings. If you talk about anything of substance, you could potentially get into an argument with somebody. 
I mean, think about it for a second. If you were to have a conversation around politics, how often, what's the percentage that that might lead to an argument? We're thinking probably 90%, right? I'm pretty sure that's going to lead to an argument. What about a conversation around sports? Who's going to win the Super Bowl or the World Series or the National Championship? I would say odds are 50-50, depending on are they, uh, you know, a fellow fan of your team or are they a rival, you know, depending on who they are. 50-50 chance that you could argue over who's the better team or who's the better player. Spiritual conversations, they found, lead to conflict about 20% of the time. One out of five conversations. Now, any conversation could lead to conflict, but in our minds, if we think and assume that every time we enter into a spiritual conflict, it will only end in a fight, then we're mistaken. It's a myth. Spiritual conversations are not about arguments that are supposed to be won or points that are supposed to be made, but an opportunity to savor a relationship that God has brought us into, to listen, to learn, to share, to be generous with our story, and with our lives. It's oftentimes how we have the conversation and how we enter into the conversation that can make a difference. If I go in with my you know, jaw clenched and my brow furrowed, I'm going to convince this person uh, you know, why they're wrong or why I'm right, I'm probably going to get into an argument. The emotions will arise. But if I go into a conversation or if I'm entering into a situation with humility and peace and just share my story, Odds are, at the end of that conversation, I'll have a stronger friendship with somebody more than anything else. And who knows? Maybe a seed could be planted in the course of that conversation. The last myth that Don talks about in his book is that spiritual conversations are burdens that are painful and regrettable. Now, if spiritual conversations are uh, those activities that everybody who knows everything about the Bible, who love getting into fights, you know, who uh, are awkward and, and disrespectful, then, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody, any of us, want to be a part of a spiritual conversation. But if a spiritual conversation is an experience that can produce joy and peace and laughter, if it's really about asking questions and sharing our own doubts and just sharing our stories, if it's more about listening and receiving what other people think and have to share. If it's about trusting that, that the goodness of God will be revealed if, if we simply let our lives speak. These are precisely the kinds of conversations and experiences we should be open to, that we should look forward to, that we should be expectant of. Paul writes uh, in Romans chapter 10, he says, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And, and how is anybody going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That is why scripture exclaims, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, Paul is reminding us of our responsibility that we are the sent ones and that a spiritual conversation is a gift and an opportunity. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to share our lives and to share our story. It's a part of who we are. We have a story. Our church has a story. Our faith has a story. Every year we're reminded of the Christmas story. We have a great story that will bring joy to all who hear it. 
And this is a series about not missing out on the joy of sharing that story. I want to close with this story. A few years ago, my family and I, we went on a vacation, and we tried out one of those all-inclusive resorts. Have you ever been to an all-inclusive resort? It was such a good idea for our family because we've got three boys who just don't stop eating. And this meant that all the food was in included and you know, they could eat as much as they wanted, anytime they wanted. And um, it was a beautiful place. And uh, every day in the afternoon, I would be reading a book by the pool and I'd look out onto the ocean and I'd see sailboats kind of going by, you know, back and forth, back and forth. People just out enjoying the water. And it was especially beautiful at the end of the day as the sun was setting and you could just see the silhouettes of sailboats. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that must be nice. That must be a lot of fun. That must be pretty exhilarating to be out on the water, on the edge of the horizon. If only I could try that, but, you know, it's probably expensive or, you know, you probably have to be trained or, you know, I'm sure there's a long line for that. So every day I just kind of talked myself out of trying to get on a sailboat. On the last day of our vacation, the day before we left, our family, we just sort of took this walk together along the beach. We were looking for a great place to take a family photo. And as we got to the edge of the property, we came to the place where they have all the sailboats up on the shore. And so out of curiosity, I just went over to one of the guys and I said, hey, I'm just curious, what would it cost uh, to be able to get out on one of these uh, out onto the water? And the guy said, oh, sir, uh, this is included in the cost of your stay. <laughs> and I thought, all-inclusive. <laughs> That's what that means. It's included. And so I said, well, uh, how long would it take me to get on one of these? He says, well, you can get on right now. We've got availability. And so our family got onto one of these sailboats, and we got out onto the water, and we rowed out into the horizon during the sunset. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences we had that we look back to. We took plenty of pictures on that sailboat. You see, we almost missed out on the experience of being on the sailboat because we just thought, we just assumed can't afford it, too busy, there's a long line. And so every day we just talked ourselves out of experiencing something that was so beautiful and deep and meaningful. And that's what this series is about. We want to encourage you, our church, to be the voice of faith and hope and love in our community here in the Bay Area and around the world. And I think more often than not, we tend to talk ourselves out of the opportunity to experience great joy, peace, and exhilaration. And so as we head into Christmas this year, I, I just want to encourage you to be attentive to the way that God might be nudging you to talk to someone. Maybe you know someone who could use a little prayer in their life, and all you need to do is say, hey, I'd, I'd love to pray for you. Would you, would you welcome that? Or maybe you know somebody who's experiencing deep loneliness this time of the year. Maybe you can have them over, or better yet, maybe you can invite them to church at Christmas and say, hey, join my family and my friends. We're going to church where there's free hot chocolate and cookies and wonderful music. I wonder, as we head into Christmas, if we could step back and just be aware of the people that God has brought into our lives, our friends, our spouses, our, our children, our neighbors, our coworkers, to invite them into conversation, to invite them into our story. Because I know, I know that God is at work in your lives. I know that God is at work through you, and I know that you have a story that could possibly bring great joy to someone if they heard it. So I want to encourage you 
to let your life speak, and to not be afraid of spiritual conversations. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the message of Christmas, that you sent your Son to this earth to save us, to show us your love, to reveal your plan for humanity. And as we uh, get ready and prepared for Christmas, as the joy and the excitement begin to, to rise in our hearts, as we look forward to celebrating, Father, we think of all the people who have yet to hear this amazing good news. And so, Father, if those people are in our lives or if we have names that come to mind or faces that we can think of in this moment, we lift them to you. And we ask, God, that you would continue to show them your love and that if you are calling us or moving us toward them in a way to share our stories, God, would you provide those moments and would we be aware and prepared to steward and savor those moments when they come? God, we thank you for loving us and inviting us into your story. And as we experience great joy, we give you thanks. And we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that you feel inspired and challenged by today's message and that you can take it and apply it to your everyday life. If you wanna keep following along with Menlo Church, feel free to join us on social media where you can find out what's happening. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next week.